birthday. I don't know if, uh, I don't know, maybe it's our choir that we brought in to sing. You guys sound excellent. Very good. Uh, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. You chose to be with us this morning. Uh, whether you meant to or not, whether you meant to go to the church on the road and you came to this parking lot, we're still glad you're here. We want you to be here. Um, and we're just going to kind of like help you normalize the morning a little bit because if you visited with us before, it may feel a little different. You may see some faces you don't recognize. You may wonder why the guy's up on stage in a t-shirt too. That seems a little unorthodox. So if that's a huge problem, this may be my last Sunday preaching. I don't know. We'll see. Um, see how that goes. But we, uh, this weekend, for those of you that don't know, we had um, our youth weekend rally, retreat, whatever you want to call it here. So we had about 70 kids or so from all over the state and a couple other states. We had some fly in from places like Washington and Texas because we're so awesome that they came in to, uh, to be with us this weekend. Um, and so one thing, and I know we've mentioned this a little bit, but one thing, if you walked in today and there was just this certain odor that you smelled as you came in. It's because we slept here all weekend. We sweated here all weekend. You may not know this, but this building does not have showers. So uh, just, just the way to deal with that is come uh, volunteer at Supernanza, and then you just get used to the smell after a while. Jordan, our other minister, was roaming the halls this morning with Lysol just spraying it around like this. So if, if you don't smell it, you have him to think. Uh, so we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to share a few thoughts with you, but I just wanted to kind of set this up a little bit, what we talked about with the, with the teens this weekend that's represented on the shirt. So we're going to go through that a little bit. Um, but one of the things I wanted to start off by saying is, is this, that I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever thought this, but I, I don't buy into these genera- generational distinctions. I don't know that I buy into the generational distinctions. And this isn't because I'm a psychologist or a sociologist and I know these things. But when we try to label an entire generation of people and we say they're all this way, that somehow feels false. So when we say all millennials, all uh, Generation X, all baby boomers, all are this way, that they all think this, they all do this, they all want this, I think that's false. And I think that's false of, of teens as well. Like, I don't know what generation this is. As I get older, I can't keep up anymore. There's, they keep naming them new things. But whatever generation, they all are this way. They all think this way. Now, maybe generations are shaped by common experiences and that goes into their thinking. But I don't know that there's this monolithic sort of block that you can just say everybody thinks this way. If you're a baby boomer, like you had certain experiences, but it's not like everybody in that generation feels the way, the same way, thinks the same way. And I think what, I think this is true. I could be wrong. Maybe you can correct me. But I think people are people. I think the, the strengths and the weaknesses that, that we see in ourselves are strength and weak, strengths and weaknesses we've been seeing for generations, for thousands of years, which is why you can read the Bible and you can relate to the things that people were going to. You can respond to the things that Paul and Jesus talked about in ways that see, feel relevant to your life, even though that's hundreds of generations ago, because people are people, and the things that we struggle with and the things that we love and the things that we avoid are all the same. So as we sat down and we tried to think about like what were we going to do for this youth rally and we thought about like we really wanted to challenge these teens we wanted them to think through like their relationship with God on this fundamental level it dawned on me that there's really no distinction between the teens and everybody like what we talked about we should have just had you all here all weekend because it's important for everybody and I want this morning maybe a little bit to be sort of a wake-up call for people who have just sort of picked up their feet and drifted along in their life, in their faith, in their Christianity, and haven't made firm choices to be who they need to be in Christ. And we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to challenge you, I hope, a little bit. 
And I think it's going to start with this premise. I, as a Christian, and if you're not a follower of Christ, that's fine. Maybe you can just sit back and judge us for a little bit. I think that's okay. But I, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, I would like to be a better follower of Christ. Right? We can agree with that? We're all there? However, one caveat, one thing, I would like it to be relatively easy. I don't want to put too much work. A little bit of work is okay. A little bit of sacrifice is okay. A little bit of inconvenience is okay. But I don't want it to be too drastic. I want it to be relatively minor. And I think we, as many uh, American Christians, don't want to treat a nation as a block either, but as many Western Christians, we've kind of fallen into this groove of saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I also want it to be relatively easy. And we've forgotten how difficult following Jesus is going to be, and we were warned it was going to be. So when we run into things that are difficult, we're sometimes surprised. Now, sometimes good things come easy, right? Sometimes it happens. Good things come easy. I got a picture of a a lady named Meredith Fitzsimmons. This lady accidentally won a marathon. (laughs) Accidentally. She was running along. She was competing in a half marathon. She made a wrong turn, came to the end of the marathon, and was in first place. Accidentally won a marathon. I would love to accidentally win a marathon. I don't want to train for a marathon. I don't want to run a marathon, but I wouldn't mind winning a marathon, like just coming to the finish line and everybody's cheering for me and I'm like, oh, what? Oh, I won. That's fantastic. I didn't have to train. I didn't have to do anything. That's awesome. Now, of course, she was a runner and she knew what she was doing, but she didn't mean to be running this marathon. And she was running the half one and she got a little past the halfway mark and uh, somebody came, like an official came alongside her because she had the wrong color attack and they're like, but if you want to keep going, just keep going. So she just kept going and won the thing. Qualified for Boston. You have to, you have to run pretty fast to qualify for Boston. Wouldn't it be awesome if you accidentally won a marathon? That would be great. Fantastic. We've all heard stories of people who kind of stumbled into wealth or they just discovered this thing and they just didn't really have to work hard for it and all of a sudden they're, they're rich or they're famous. Wouldn't that be great if, if good things like that came relatively easy? Maybe you've heard, maybe you've met someone you hadn't seen in a long time, a, a classmate or a coworker, and they've lost a bunch of weight. And you're like, wow, you look great. What did you do? And they're like, I don't know. I just started losing weight. And you're like, what is wrong with, what's wrong with you? I, I dislike you. You just started losing weight? What are you talking about? It just just started melting off. Sometimes, rarely, sometimes good things come on accident, by accident. But I think the good things in life, the good things that we want, the good things in our faith, they don't happen accidentally. They don't happen accidentally. And that's the premise I want to base what we're talking about this morning on. I used to think, and I want to talk to you guys just for a second. I used to think, and and I sometimes still do because I don't feel like I'm old, but I used to think that at some point in my life, as I got older, I would just figure it all out. Like, I would just eventually get to the point where I was now a good Christian. Like, like there were maybe some things I struggled with when I was younger, but then at some point, you just become a good Christian. So, like, you guys might think, like, okay, you know, I got this thing, but eventually when I get to be their age, I'm going to be good, right? It's just going to all kind of come together because that's the way Christianity works. You just kind of accidentally become a good Christian. You just grow older, and all of a sudden, you got it all figured out. All those strengths that, that you don't have now or all those weaknesses, that you do, they just kind of go away. Your faith gets stronger, right? You just accidentally become a better Christian as you get older, right? Now, some of you are nodding. The sarcasm, you're being sarcastic back to me. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, just be, it's easy. It's not easy. And this is the thing. You'll find 20 years later, you're thinking and doing and struggling with some of the same things because our faith doesn't develop accidentally. 
Our, 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 our goodness, our, 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 our relationship with God doesn't happen accidentally. It's a result of work. And this is something that Jesus is going to tell us here, that a, a verse I want to look at in just a second. As we grow older, it just doesn't happen accidentally. There are, now, sure, there are things that force your hand a little bit, right? You've got to grow up naturally. You can only eat frozen waffles and ramen noodles so long. At some point, you're going to have to buy a vegetable. It's just going to have to happen. It's going to have to happen. Some of you are like, no, I got some friends who are my age that still, I don't think a vegetable has ever crossed their lips. But at some point, you know, life just kind of forces you to, you have to buy insurance at some point. Like, that's kind of an adult thing to do. It just has to happen. But I don't know if you've noticed, but improvements, especially in our relationship with God, rarely happen accidentally. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Luke chapter 9. The book of Luke chapter 9. We're going to go through this little passage here and talk a little bit about what Je- the claim that Jesus made related to our faith being something that has to be pursued and sacrificed for and something that doesn't come accidentally or easily. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, I, just, I always have to note this, Jesus went off by himself with people. He like never was alone. He was in private with his disciples. He asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And I think that's an interesting question that Jesus would ask because why does he care who the crowds think he is? He's got a work to do. He's got a mission to do. Why do the crowds, why does it matter? But I think he just wants to get a feel for where the, uh, the, uh, the disciples' heads are a little bit. Verse 19, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets long ago has come back to life. It's interesting to me that they had a tough time wrapping their minds around Jesus, but they, could all, they all thought he was somebody dead that had come back to life. I don't understand why that was easy to believe. Verse 20, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that, that I am? Peter, of course, in this, this perfect answer, he says, God's Messiah. He, he got it, you know, he got it. Verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Verse 22, he goes on and he says, and this is kind of where things take a left turn a little bit for the apostles. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, I imagine that the apostles were like, there was some confusion written on their faces. Peter's jaw kind of dropped open a little bit. He's like, what are you talking about? You're God's, I just said you are God's Messiah. That means you're the guy that comes in, fixes everything. Everybody bows down to you. You're the guy in charge. You're the king. Everybody look, you're the, you are the power. And then you're telling us that you're going to die. That doesn't make sense. You're going to be rejected. That doesn't make sense. You came so people would accept you. What do you mean people are going to reject you? Some of the other apostles, Bartholomew, we don't talk about him much. He probably just had this look of confusion on his face. Like, what are you talking Talking about, And so Jesus begins to explain this a little bit more, fur, more deeply. And it's kind of like that thing, like parents, have, have you ever had that conversation with your kids when your kids are complaining about something relatively minor and you're just like, oh man, wait till you grow up. Maybe your kid gets a part-time job and they're like, I have to work 10 hours this week. And you're like, oh yeah, 10 hours. Okay, great. Come back to me in 30 years. Tell me how that 10 hours feels. And then you know, complaining about something that they're going to have to experience more deeply. Jesus says, you guys are confused about this rejection and the fact that, that, that my life is going to kind of take this left turn in your minds. Well, I want you to know something. Life is not going to be easy for you either. And in the, the next verse, verse 23. Now, actually, go back one, if you would, for me. I'm going to do something here. Verse 23. I don't want it on the screen because we spent some time with the group memorizing Luke chapter 9, verse 23. So I'm going to put my reputation as a youth minister on the line and see if this group remembers Luke 9.23 and can say it collectively. You guys think you can do that for me? Because I don't want to get fired today. All right. 
All right, so who's going to, what's the first word? Then. All right, then. Nailed it. Now, a lot of you were lip syncing. I saw that, but that's pretty good. You guys did good. You guys did good. Verse 23. I Sorry, I cut you off when you were saying the reference. It's very important to know. Then he said to them all. This is him explaining like his words of rejection and, and, and death to the, the, these followers who are confused about this. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And this is the verse that we explored all weekend. Whoever wants to be my disciple. This is not something that comes easy. This is not accidentally winning a marathon. This is not something that you're going to wake up one morning. You're going to be like, oh, hey, cool. I'm a better Christian now. Whoever wants this, there's this, this, this deep difficulty that we go through to pursue this relationship with Christ. Whoever wants to be my disciple. So real briefly, I want to walk through that passage uh, as we focus on this idea this morning. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who sort of undersold the difficulty of something they were asking you to do. And you agreed to do it, and all of a sudden you realize you were in for a lot more than you thought you were in for. This primarily happens when someone is asking me to help them move. Oh, it's just a few things, a few boxes, no big deal. And you get over there, and they have like 12 hide-a-beds and 16 upright pianos. And you're like, what is wrong? What is wrong with you? You... You undersold this for me. We, uh, a group of, of people from church did this uh, relay run a couple weekends ago called the Ragnar. You may have seen stickers on the back of a car. And it's about 130 miles of running that you do over a 24-hour period. And you have a team of eight people who relays through that. So each person ends up running about 16-some miles. I don't know what the math is. Don't, don't do the math because... Uh, but each person runs about, you know, however, however many miles. So one of the people in our church, he's not here. He's one of the urban ministers. His name's Gary Wiesman. He's the guy that was organizing all this. And so he's telling us about it. And a few of us had looked it up and like, okay, we can do this. We can train for it. But he recruited a few people and he was like, it's no big deal. And like they got there to this thing and they're like, you know, okay, everybody's going to have to run 16 miles. And the people were like, hey, wait, now what? Hang, hang on. 16 What? And then the, some of the people, now it was, a, it was a mountain bike trail, so there's rocks and hills. And some people were like, I got the idea this was like a stroll in the park. And they're there at 3 in the morning running up and down hills. They had totally been undersold on what we were doing. And, and I think that does happen sometimes. When we want to get somebody to do something, we kind of undersell the difficulty of it. But Jesus is just the opposite. When he wants to get people to do something, he, like, not like, he almost oversells the difficulty of them. Or I guess it's just reality. He says, if you want to follow me, if you want this, if you want this life that, that I can give you, then you've got, this is going to be a difficult thing. And, and he goes through the specifics of what this looks like. If anyone wants to follow me, have you ever watched what was supposed to be a motivational video and it kind of had the opposite effect on you? How many of you have ever watched a show called The Biggest Loser? It's a great show. People who struggle with their weight, they go on this show and they work out hard. They burn, you know, thousands of calories. They eat right. And it's supposed to, you know, as Amer Americans, we have a problem with oh, being overweight. And so this show is kind of just like this awareness and teach you how to exercise and all this. I used to like watching that show, but this is true. I would always go to the fridge, get a bowl of ice cream 
and then watch the show as I'm eating ice cream. Because they were doing so much work, it kind of wore me out, and they were denying themselves. They were like eating, you know, kale three times a day, and I'm like, I want some ice cream. The, watching that show made me not want to work out. It was like the opposite effect of, of what they were intending. Have you ever thought this phrase, and this is, this, you'll have to follow me here, but have you ever thought this phrase, I don't want to, but I want to want to? I don't want to, but I want to want to. I saw a video about a, uh, a former Navy SEAL, and he was saying that the best thing you can do for your health and your life is to wake up every morning at 4.30 a.m. and immediately start working out his words till you throw up. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't even really want to want to. <laughs> I want to be healthier, but not that way. Somebody might say, look, if you save 50% of your income, you can retire as a millionaire at 42. I don't want to. I want to want to, but I don't want to. I don't have that want to yet. Somebody might say, hey, get your homework. Your parents might say, get your homework done right after school on Friday, and then you have the whole weekend, and you're not scrambling Monday morning on the way to school. I, I don't want to. I want to want to, but I don't really want to. Have you ever thought about something that you don't want to do, but you kind of wish you did want to do it? And I think asking ourselves this question about our faith, that, like, whoever wants to be my disciple, have you ever, like, really, like, just asked yourself that fundamental question? Do I, do I, me, my name, do I want to be a disciple of Christ? Do I want that? Because if you do then it comes with some expectations and some obligations. So the question is, what about our spiritual life? And this is the question we posed to the teens this weekend. What about our spiritual life can no, jo- no longer just be a want to, but that we've got to move it from this realm of the abstract and the idealism to the realm of reality. And this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to pursue. What can we focus on? That was the first line of our shirts here. Secondly, the second part of this verse says, so whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And I think this is the difficult part because we can get ourselves all pumped up, all motivated, all excited about something new, some different, some epic change that we're going to make. But then as soon as that change kind of requires some difficulty or some sacrifice, we lose our enthusiasm for it. I don't know if you've ever like, you know what, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to start going running. And you get about 10 feet down the road and you're like, I don't know. I can die young. That's not that big of a deal. I'll go be with Jesus. It's not that big of a deal. When it actually requires some difficulty in work, we kind of lose the enthusiasm that we had for it. And I think this is where our motivation, my motivation, gets completely drained. Because when our pursuing our faith, pursuing our relationship with God starts to hurt, it becomes something that maybe we don't want to prioritize as much anymore. We taught the teens this weekend that sacrifice is giving up something that we don't want to give up for something that we do want. Sacrifice is giving up something we don't want to for something that we do want. And it's not, sacrifice is not a word that brings up good times. But nothing good happens without sacrifice. Sacrifice is supposed to hurt. Denying ourselves is supposed to hurt. So if we're trying to pursue a faith that doesn't require any inconvenience for us, I don't know that we're pursuing what God intended. I don't know that we're pursuing Christianity. To deny ourselves doesn't mean that we skip a purchase and give the money to charity. To deny ourselves means that we put God in charge of our money. To deny ourselves doesn't mean that we put time in our schedule for God. To deny ourselves means we put God in charge of our schedule. 
To deny ourselves doesn't mean that we stop and consult God before a big choice. It means that we put God in charge of our decision-making. That we turn to deny ourselves means we turn our lives over to Him for whatever, wherever He leads us, for whatever He wants. Sacrifice gets us up earlier than we want to. Sacrifice gives up more than we're comfortable with. Sacrifice stays longer than we want to. Sacrifice hurts. But if we want a relationship with Christ, Christ tells us it's going to require sacrifice. And then thirdly, it says, take up their cross daily. Take up your cross daily. I get a lot of mileage out of doing something good one time. So every once in a while as I'm preaching, I'll say the other day, and then I'll tell you something maybe good I did. That other day could have been 20 years ago in reality. It is another day, right? But it was 20 years ago. The other day I was talking to this person about Jesus 20 years ago. I can get a lot of mileage out of a, a, good, a single good act. I remember a period of time, um, it's been a few years ago, where my schedule felt like it was getting pretty overloaded. And I'm not a guy that likes to wake up early, uh, earlier than I have to. You know, I wake up in time to get, help get the kids ready, take them to school, things like that. But I was like, you know what, that Navy SEAL guy who said get up at 4.30, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to wake up. Now, I wasn't going to work out. I was going to wake up and like start working on sermons and church stuff. So I set my alarm for 5 a.m. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to get stuff done. So first couple days, I woke up. I was a little groggy, but I, I got stuff done. But I want, to, I want to tell you something. This is my personality. I let everybody know how early I woke up those first few days. Oh, yeah. Oh, I wake up at 5 a.m. to study God's Word. That's what I do. I let a lot of people know. Now, that lasted about a week. At the end of the week, you know, you start hitting that snooze button, and you start sleeping in a little bit more, and then finally, you know, you're back to your old habits. But there are still, I'm assuming, some people out there in the world that think Patrick is up at 5 a.m. reading his Bible, and I'm actually okay with that. I don't want them, if you run into them, don't tell them that, uh, that I don't. But I can get a lot of mileage out of just, just a one-time good act thing. Uh, and the problem with that is, is unless the choices, unless the sacrifices, unless the decisions we make become part of our lifestyle, they're not really going to make much difference in our lives. If they're just one-time decisions, I have decided to follow Jesus, that's great, but you need to do that every single day. Unless they become our habits, it's not really going to make much difference in our lives. It's not going to really make much improvement. If you want to lose weight and you say no to ice cream one time but not the next 50 times, you're not going to lose weight. If you want to run a marathon and you get out there and you run half a mile but that's it, you're not going to run a marathon. If you want to be a great dad and you make it home for family dinner once in a while but you're absent the next you know, 50 family dinners, you're going to struggle. That's going to be a struggle unless you make these things a habit. If you want to draw people to Christ and you talk to someone once but aren't interested in regularly having conversations with people about Christ, you're not going to draw people to Christ. If you want your kids to be influenced by church, by classes, by youth group, by the other people here at church, but you don't make being around church family a priority, it's not going to happen. Unless we turn our, our priorities and our sacrifices into habits, nothing is really ever going to change. If we do it one time, fantastic. Good job. But unless we make these things lifestyle changes, nothing's going to happen. The problem with our goals, the problem with our priorities is that we're often not willing to turn them into habits. We're not willing to turn them into daily choices. We did it for a little bit, but it didn't become who we were. Complete lifestyle change. I think there's an interesting question to think about. This is challenging for me to think about. But a year from now, what would you be glad you started doing today? A year from now, you could have finished reading the Bible. 
You could have studied some topic. You could have talked to that person, that neighbor that you've been putting off talking to, and you could have a Bible study with them. What will you be glad you started doing uh, today, a year from now? Finally, as we wrap up, the last thing Jesus says in this passage, he just says this simple, like, invitation. He says, follow me. Follow me. And um, I I, got to, this is going to be a little tough, but... I got to ask you a question. Have you actually, I know this sounds like the end of a sermon and let's sing just as I am and everybody come forward, but that's not what this is about. But I want to ask you the question, have you actually made the choice to follow Jesus? Have you made that choice? Now, here's what, here's what I mean by that, because I think we often, especially as someone who grew up in the church, I totally appreciate what my parents did, what they provided. I appreciated that, that I inherited the faith I did from my parents. I appreciated the choices that they made to drag me to church all the time. I appreciate that. I love that. I appreciate the fact that, that when my parents decided to go on the mission field, they took me with them. I was 11, so what else are they going to do? But I appreciated this example of faith that they lived for me. I appreciated that. But at some point in my life, and it was much later than it should have been, I had to ask myself, Am I just a result of other people's choices? Is my faith just the result of other people doing good things? I'm glad they did those good things. But have I ever made the choice to follow Christ? I think people can get baptized and still not make the choice to follow Christ. I think people can come to church every single Sunday and, and, and be a part of the church and, and, and develop relationships and have Bible studies and still have not made the decision to follow Christ for themselves. Because it's easy if you're around an environment like this just to pick up your feet and kind of drift. The youth group's a good thing. Church is a good thing. People expect you to be there at 9 a.m. So you come at 9 a.m. and you're in the Bible class learning Revelation from Jordan. But you just have picked up your feet and you're kind of drifting along. And then when the, the, when the current changes, you're just going to drift somewhere else unless you decide to put your feet down and say, I have made a choice to follow Christ for myself. And it might require sacrifice. It might require inconvenience. It might, I shouldn't say might, it will require sacrifice. It will require inconvenience. It will require difficulty. But unless we make that choice for ourselves, we're not really following him. We're following other people who are following him, and we better hope they're leading us in the right direction. I have a friend of mine who recently lost her grandfather, and her grandfather was a strong personality, strong Christian, person who influenced a lot of other lives for Christ, and he passed away, and they were having a conversation with their grandmother who was left without her husband, and it dawned on her that she never owned her own faith. For, for decades, being in the church, her faith existed through her husband, who was a good man, a good Christian, but she never made that choice to plant her feet herself and make a decision to follow Christ for herself in her 80s. And praise God, she's in her 80s, and now she's making a decision to follow Christ. I mean, she's taught dozens and dozens and dozens of Sunday school classes. She's gone on mission trips. She's done all the things that Christians do. But it wasn't until her husband passed away that she realized that she hadn't made that choice to follow Christ. Have we made that choice? I think it's possible to, to live, to work careers, to raise kids, to have grandkids, to be at church every Sunday without ever making the personal, conscious decision to follow Christ on our own. And so that's, that's my question for you. Maybe you have, and you're like, well, okay, great. But maybe there's people around you who are relying on your faith, and you need to encourage them to make their own choices. 
We're, uh, we're going to sing a, a song in closing. I know like we've set us up for an invitation, and feel free if you want to come forward. Feel free. We're not going to tell every, anybody no. But we're going to sing the final stanza of Our God is Alive. I mean, we sound good singing it. It's fantastic. But it's this idea. It's a declaration of our faith. And so when we sing it, we're declaring our faith in God, not anybody else's. We're declaring our desire to follow Jesus. So I'm going to invite David to come up. I don't know where he is. Maybe he left, got out of here. There he is. Come on up, David, if you would. David's going to lead because I did try to lead a bit, a little bit this weekend, and it was it was so bad the kids would like stop me and say, "No, here's how the song goes." So we're going to invite David to come up and lead us in this song. I'm going to invite you to stand if you would, kind of right where you are. Afterward, we're going to have Dale come up. He's one of our elders. He's going to close us out in a word of prayer. But I want you to sing this song as a declaration of your faith, both to the people around you, but to our God, who we do believe is alive. David? David?